to the scriptures. Our reading is in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Um, If you didn't bring a Bible, open up the one in front of you. I want you to have it open because we're going to spend some time in chapter 1 and chapter 3. And if you open it up, chances are it might even be on the same page. It's a very short letter. But we're going to start out in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as day and night I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. My uh, oldest son, Jacob, turns four, turned 14 this year. He's back on the lights this morning. And one of the responsibilities that we decided together that he was ready to take on a little bit more regularly for some extra compensation is mowing the lawn. And, and I remember when I was 14, it was probably about the time I started mowing the lawn pretty much every week. And I think I've shared this before. I I remember being out on the riding lawnmower. We had a big yard when I was growing up. And I remember nicking the trunk of one of the new trees that my parents had planted in our backyard. And I remember my dad noticing right away because my dad noticed those kinds of things. And I remember not thinking a whole lot of it myself. I thought, it's no big deal. This tree is young. It will just heal, right? Kathy's looking at me like, you didn't know, did you? My dad gave me that same look, Kathy. (laughs) He had to explain to me that that that's not quite how trees work, that that mark that was on the trunk of that tree would be left on that tree forever. And sure enough, with every passing year, as the tree grew, so did that imperfection. It healed, but it always carried with it the mark. And I learned, and I'll never forget, the trees are heavily affected by their surroundings. And and that led me on on a journey this week. I want to geek out with you for just a minute here. I did a lot of reading this week about a professor of forest ecology at the University of British Columbia. Her name is Suzanne Simard, and she grew up in the old, dense forests of the Canadian Northwoods. And in her career, the early years of her career, she started off in the logging industry. And she watched as acres and acres of land that was recently cleared for the logging industry, they would go through and they would plant these perfectly spaced out brand new young trees. And the thought was that when you place new trees perfectly spaced out in a clear um, place just like that, that, that they would thrive because they wouldn't have anything to compete with. No other vegetation, no older trees, everything was perfect. They would get all the sun and the rain. And what they learned, however, was that a significant percentage of those trees died. 
And young Suzanne wondered why they were dying. And she wondered if the answer to that question maybe wasn't found in the way that they were planted, but maybe it had something to do with the vast relationships that the trees shared with other trees and with the other vegetation in that vast multi-generational forest that had just recently been destroyed. And so she started to talk about this and, and this relationship with the trees theory that she had. And the other researchers, who were mostly men, they called it girly at the time. And so she went back and she got her PhD. And she did her own research and she proved that her theory is true. Today, there's a, a term for the relationship that trees share with one another. They call it the mycorrhizal network. Here's a, a fascinating illustration of what she learned. It's a network that connects the trees at the root system. And this network allows the trees to do some really fascinating things. Older trees actually share extra resources with the younger trees around them. Fungi connects the root system and shares as a conduit signals between the trees. One study example that I read about, there was this Douglas fir, and it was being attacked by this invasive insect. And what they found was that nearby there was a ponderosa pine. So not the same kind of tree at all. And when they studied the ponderosa pine, they found that it started to produce enzymes that acted as a repellent to the insects that were attacking the Douglas fir because the Douglas fir communicated underground with the ponderosa pine. Suzanne also found that the tree connections can often be traced back to one single mature tree, that in a vast forest, the younger trees are all connected to an older, larger, stronger, mature tree. And do you know what Suzanne calls that older, stronger, mature tree? She calls it the mother tree. Do you see where this is going? She calls it the mother tree. Now, Naturally, you could imagine that Suzanne would be an advocate for forest preservation, right? And she is. However, what I did learn is that she doesn't recommend we stop cutting down trees altogether. What she does recommend is that when we do cut down the trees, that we don't cut down the mother trees. That we leave the mother trees because the mother trees are literally passing on life to the next generation of the forest. And as I was reading that, I couldn't help but think of Romans 1.20. This is the Apostle Paul. He said, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. See, the way in which God made everything work together, it's not only found in God's word, but it's also found in the earth, in the sky, and in the trees. You've heard the saying, right, that we're the sum of our relationships. Have you ever heard that before? It's not completely true. Maybe life isn't quite that simple, but it is true to a large extent. We can't deny the reality that the people around us like like the trees, leave marks on our lives for better or for worse. And today in our reading, we're going to see this play out. 
We're going to see it play out in the life of a young man named Timothy expressed through a letter that was written to him by the Apostle Paul, a man who has become a father to him, but also who has become a mother tree to him, even though they're not even technically related. And he outlines in this letter segments of the microcausal network that influenced and passed down faith to Timothy and nurtured him in it. Here's, here's the setting. Is, uh, Timothy is, is a young man at the point that this is written, and, and he's the son of a, of a Greek father and a Jewish mother. One was a Douglas fir, and the other was a ponderosa pine, so we want to kind of take it that way. Timothy's father was Greek, and so we have no, we have no background to suggest he had any, any, aware, any connection to the Judeo-Christian God, but his mother did, and so did his grandmother. They were Jewish. And so they taught their son and their grandson about the one true God from whom we all come from, from whom everything comes from. They taught him the scriptures, the Old Testament law. And then when Timothy was a young man, he met Paul, who was the author of this letter. And Paul became a father-like mentor to Timothy. And he writes this second letter to him just before he Dies. These are the dying words of a father to his young son that he cares deeply about. And he begins in the first chapter, what we just read a few minutes ago, by saying to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as day and night I constantly remember you in my prayers. Paul himself comes to Timothy with the nutrients of faith that have been passed down to him through the generations around and before him. And he says to young Timothy, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Now again, I remind you that that Timothy is called by Paul a son, even though legally that isn't the relationship that they have. And yet... It is essentially the relationship they have now. Paul remembers Timothy's tears. And when you share tears with someone else, there is a depth of joy that comes when you have been separated and you are reunited. I I illustrated it this way a number of years ago. Last time I preached on this passage, I shared this picture. I googled the saddest picture I could find, and that's what I found. If that was your little girl, your daughter, or your granddaughter, your niece, your child, if that was your child, she was standing right here, would you not knock over anyone to get to her and to embrace her? Maybe, maybe you have an older child that, that went away to college, right? It's, I don't think it's any different necessarily. Let's say they, they, they had a semester abroad, they come home, do you not run to them to embrace them, or, or maybe it's, it's your army son or your army daughter who steps off the plane after having served on active duty. You long to embrace your child. It brings you joy, not just them. It brings you joy because you've shared tears. There's something mutually beneficial in those kinds of 
reunions. This picture here, right? If you saw that little girl and you wanted to comfort her, of course you want to comfort her because she's sad. But you would be lying if you didn't say that you also want to comfort her because it does something for you too, right? Uh, I think about it, I've got five kids and, and four are boys. One is a girl. Girls are a little bit different, right? Uh, they, they get away with a little bit more. And I'll tell you a little secret. Our, our five-year-old daughter, Sophie, she's afraid of thunderstorms. And, and that's not the secret, actually. What the secret is, is, is this week she received a, a character award. Um, and it was, it was fearless. Here's the picture my wife took. She got the fearless award at the end of the school year. Um, and she is fearless. If you've ever met Sophie, Gary's met Sophie and he's laughing. She is fearless. And, and so my secret is that I love thunderstorms because they're like the only thing that she's afraid of. And, and I don't love them because I love that she gets afraid, but I do love the fact that when there's a thunderstorm, even if it's in the middle of the night, she will wake up, she will find my wife and I, and we will have to embrace her. And you know the secret? I kind of love it. <laughs> I, I love the opportunity. You could even say that it brings me joy might embarrass him, but I felt the same way about my 14-year-old Jacob this week. He went on his first overnight trip with his eighth grade class without his parents. And when he came home, I felt the same way. Examples of how Paul feels about Timothy. And, and, and whether you are a parent or not, Paul wasn't a parent. And yet, we all have people in our lives that we probably feel that way about. And and that's how he feels about Timothy. And then he says this in verse 5. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. What I see in that verse is a whole bunch of mother trees. You've got grandmother Lois. You've got the mother Eunice. And then he calls them out by name as those who have passed along the nutrients of faith to Timothy through this vast network that has connected them together. They fostered a faith that then Paul became the mother tree for. And, and he received from his ancestors and then passed along to Timothy. Now, Remember, on this side of eternity, Paul's days are numbered. These are dying words that he's sharing with this young man that he deeply loves. And so we jump to chapter 3. He says this. He says, as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Friends, this is the reason why so many churches like to, it's kind of cliche to use these verses on Mother's Day. This is the reason why. The reason that Timothy believes what he believes, the reason that he's the man that he is today is not because he has been instructed in this some kind of sterile religion that's been perfectly planted in his life and perfectly spaced out rows on a clear and weeded field. It turns out trees don't thrive the best in that environment and neither do we. If you walk into church and everybody's wearing a tuxedo every day, <laughs> you might wonder if you belong, don't you? 
Because the truth is we don't look as cleaned up in real life as we might look when we walk in on a day like today. Trees don't thrive in a perfect environment and neither do we. And the reason that Timothy has a strong faith is because God placed Timothy in a forest. A forest of specific people at specific times, in specific places, so that he could become convinced of what he has learned. Continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. In other words, he saw his faith lived out. He saw faith alive. Timothy believes in Jesus. He has hope for the future. He sees God in everything because he saw it lived out in his grandma, Lois, and in his mother, Eunice, and in the apostle Paul, this father to him. I've shared several times before. It's just actually maybe a month, month and a half ago, I shared a different perspective on this that that my own grandmother, she was the one that, that was really the most devout in her faith when I was growing up. I found a couple of pictures of her and me. Wasn't I an adorable baby? <laughs> Maybe not as cute as the little girl, but there she is. And, and wasn't that adorable wallpaper there <laughs> in, in, in her kitchen? I remember that wallpaper. So anyway, that's, that's my grandma. And then up there, that was at my baptism. That's St. Raymond's Catholic Church in Mount Prospect, Illinois. Same church that my mother was married in, my mother and father, um, same church that my grandfather's funeral was in, same church that I was baptized in, same church that my grandmother was buried in as well. She was, of all the people in my extended family, the one who was the most devout in her faith growing up. But she also struggled. Uh, a lot of that came with the reality that she had five kids, <laughs> And, and I remember when Alyssa and I found out, you, you, you know if you've been around for a while, we've got a 20-ish month old uh, who came as a surprise to us. He was a wonderful surprise, is a surpri wonderful surprise to us, but I would be lying if I didn't tell you that we were a little bit nervous about adding child number five. And so I called uh, my aunt at one point and I was talking to her about being nervous, about being a parent of five children and being overwhelmed. And she said to me, well, your grandma had five kids and, and she survived. She didn't go crazy. You'll be fine. Which, which leads me to show you the next picture of my grandma. <laughs> that is just a few years before she died. <laughs> um, and then, of course, I, I think I have another picture in there, too. If you look back in the corner, you got that dude in the red checking her out. I, I don't know what... <laughs> What that's all about, that makes me a little bit uncomfortable, but needless to say, my aunt's comments that I won't go crazy was less than comforting when I thought about who my grandma really was. But, but seriously, my, my grandmother, she lost her husband when her youngest child, my aunt, I think she was only 12 years old. My mom was barely an adult at the time. Um, she had to walk with my grandpa down the long road that he faced colon cancer, and he lost his battle. He was only in his 50s. She took on a lot. She was strong. She, she was fearless, like my own daughter. But she was also stubborn. Sometimes she drank too much. She wasn't perfect. 
but she really did believe. And of all those things that stuck with me, maybe even more now the older I get and I realize that in my life I'm not perfect either. And so this time I read this passage and it made me wonder if Timothy's grandma Lois was like my grandma Gladstone. A mix of tears and joy. I, I, I wonder what it was like for her to lose her husband. I wonder if she had to quit smoking like my grandma had to quit smoking. I wonder if Lois's last years of her life were significantly altered by a stroke the way my grandmother's last years of life were altered. I, I wonder if the faith that Timothy saw in his grandmother and in his mother and in the Apostle Paul was actually less about their strength and more about God's grace in their weakness. And I know that's true for the Apostle Paul. If you don't believe me, look at 2 Corinthians 12.10. You'll see that. It's where he is weak he finds the strength of God. And this brings me back to today, Mother's Day. In this short letter text, 2 Timothy, we are reminded that just like Timothy, our trees, our life is planted in a vast forest of imperfect and growing people in our life who are with us for a season so that God can use them to grow us into the people that he has called us to be. For Timothy, it was a season where it was his grandmother. And then it was a season where it was his mother. And then it was the mother tree of Paul that was planted in the same forest to pour nutrients of faith into young Timothy. And just like his grandmother, and just like his mother, and just like every mother tree that is planted in the forest of our lives, Paul will not be there forever with Timothy. Actually, someday Timothy will be called to be the mother tree to somebody else. And that's why Paul writes these dying words to Timothy. He says, verse 14, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. How from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You know what Paul's doing for Timothy? He is preparing Timothy for life without Paul. Because even the strongest most deeply rooted mother tree cannot live with the sun, without the sun and the rain. And so Paul directs Timothy's eyes beyond the forest and to the source of life itself. Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. Just show of hands, how many of you have heard that verse before at some point in your life, right? Most of us have heard that verse before, but what's lesser known is the context from which those words come from. We use those words to proof text that the Bible is authoritative, that the word of God gives us wisdom for the way in which we are called to live life. And that's true. It's absolutely true. But how did God deliver his word to us? Through trees, through people, real life people, imperfect people. Even the perfect words of Jesus were written on the pages of God's word by imperfect disciples. 
part of a vast network of individuals and families and communities and nations throughout generations of history that were inspired by God's presence and through their own lived experiences to put these words on the page. God's word is truth. But the teaching, the rebuking, the correcting, the training in righteousness doesn't happen in isolation. It happens in community. And it happens in a community of trees, young and old, that are all connected to the source of life and faith itself. And that is God. It's why our mission here at St. John's is to be a multi-generational family of faith because we need each other. We need to be connected to one another as we are connected to the connection that makes it all complete through Jesus himself who said in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Friends, I know Mother's Day can be very difficult for so many of us for countless different reasons. I look back at my notes, and the last time that I preached on this passage was the first Mother's Day that my wife Alyssa and I and our family were foster parents, which was some years ago now. We, we were caring at that time for two young children who called us mommy and daddy and two young children that didn't get to be with their mommy that Mother's Day for the first time in their young life, who by the next Mother's Day would go back home to be with their mom. Praise God, and yet, after a year and a half of caring and loving them, we still, to this day, miss them. And what has given us peace, even in the midst of the pain is that God gave us the privilege to be a mother tree for a season. The realization that every relationship is just a season, isn't it? That just like the trees, people are called into our lives for a season. It's only God that will be with us forever. Some of the seasons are long and fruitful and wonderful. I had almost 27 years of a season with my faithful grandmother before she passed away. And, and today, maybe you're celebrating a long season that you're in the middle of with your mother or as a mother or as a grandmother, or maybe you're almost going to be a mother or a grandmother. But even if you are, the longest of those seasons are never long enough. 27 years with my grandmother was not long enough. I don't have to tell those of you this year who've lost someone, be it a mother or a child. Like a forest, our worlds are full of life, but they're also full of death. They're full of tears, and they're also full of joy. And so what do we do with that? We thank God for the trees. We thank God for 
those around us that have poured into us, that have taught us, that have rebuked us, that have corrected us and trained us in righteousness and faith. The people that God has placed in our lives at just the right time and place. And it leads us to do two things on this Mother's Day, two action steps. I want to share them with you. The first one is thank God for the people that he has placed in our lives, no matter how long or short the season may be. And the second thing is nurture faith in others. We can all be a mother tree. Don't be a lone tree in a gutted forest. And don't assume that just because you're old or you're young or you have imperfections like the tree that I nicked as a child, it's still alive. I've driven by the house. It's doing well. Don't assume that you have nothing to offer. Did you know that one of the greatest contributions that a mother tree gives to the forest is actually when it dies? That years before a tree starts to die, what they've learned in this research over 30 years is that it begins pouring out its resources into the younger trees around it. And then when it does fall, what does it do? It decomposes to create fertile soil for the new life around it. And I think to myself, is that not what Jesus did? Jesus did that for us. This is why he is the vine and we are the branches. He has poured out his life into our own, even in death, that we might live forever. I'll leave you with one more fun, geeky fact about forest research. One of the articles I read, Suzanne Simard's research became deeply personal to her. It was a couple of years ago now, she was diagnosed with cancer. And as part of her regimen of treatment, the doctors prescribed chemotherapy. And one of the primary chemotherapy drugs that they used was a drug called Taxil. And so she's a PhD researcher. She had to research the drug that they were using. She did. Do you know where Taxil is derived from? It's derived from trees, specifically the Pacific yew tree, which grows in the same forests that she grew up in and lives in today. Friends, the forest is literally saving Suzanne's life, just like the forest of relationships can be used by God to save yours and mine, not because we're the ones who save, but because God uses us to connect others to the nutrients of faith around us. People are called into our lives for a season, and so we thank God that he is with us in them. And the people that he has placed in our lives, no matter how long or short the season is, we thank God for putting them in our lives, for being with us forever, and we ask him, will you use us to be that influence in the life of someone else? Would you join me now as we pray that prayer together? Lord God, I know that today is a day that is mixed with tears and joy. We come before you, we give thanks for the forest, for the mothers who gave us life and brought us into this world, for the women and men who God used to shape and nurture us, especially in our faith in you. People are called into our lives for a season. And so we thank you, God, for the long seasons. And we anticipate that the seasons to come will be fruitful in the people that you place in our forest of life. And we grieve in the seasons 
that have been far too short. In everything, we give thanks to you, God, the source of life itself. You are the one who promises to be with us always. May you use us to be a tangible sign of your presence in the world and in the lives around us. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.